0: Welcome to the Semper Reformative Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Would you turn with me please to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to just read from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, passage we've been looking at. In Ephesians, for the past few weeks, when we have met together, I may say some things tonight you may not agree with. That's actually all right, you don't have to agree. They're not essential matters. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Last week, In our last study, we attempted to measure the love of God, its length and breadth and its height and its depth. And we found that this was an impossible task. For the love of God is beyond our understanding. We can't work it out. We can't fathom it. Why would the great God who created the vast universe set his saving love upon a miserable sinner like me, like you. And we saw that although we can't work it out mathematically or empirically, we can experience it. We can grasp it in our minds through the work of God in the Individual in the sinner, and we learned that that experience will lead us to be more godlike, to be more Christ like. But we didn't finish the verse, verse 20 or verse um, 19. Rather, we simply left it at and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, and we stopped there. So tonight, for a few moments, I want to go to the end of the verse, where Paul writes that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What does Paul mean when he writes that? We need to do some word studies to properly understand what's meant here. And we need to look at some very common but very important words that are contained in this verse. The words that the word with, and the word you. And hopefully that will help us to understand what Paul means when he writes that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. We'll just talk about the word that first of all. We didn't mention that last week. But that indicates that Paul has reached the climax of his prayer. Remember that Paul's been praying for the Ephesian church. He's concluding that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Everything in this prayer so far, the verses from verse 14 that we read earlier on, has been leading up to this point, that ye might be filled. No use of the word that links this filling with the fullness of God as a consequence of what has already gone before in the prayer. Everything that Paul has prayed for the Ephesian Christians culminates in them being filled with all the fullness of God. Now, it has been a very structured prayer. I wonder, did Paul pray it spontaneously as he dictated it to the scribe, or or did he plan it meticulously? But in this prayer, there has been a series of separate petitions, a separate pleas to God, seeking spiritual blessings For the Ephesian Christians and every single petition as we have read them has taken them and taken us higher and higher, reaching up to God like as if we are climbing the rungs of a ladder, a great spiritual ladder. Look at them in your Bible, turn back to verse 14. And you'll see step one, that their inner being, the part of them that really, really matters, their soul, their spirit, their mind, their heart, their will, that all of their whole personality will be mightily strengthened by God the Holy Spirit working within them as he works in all of those who are Christ's people. And then there's step two one step higher that this indwelling presence christ god the son made inwardly present in us through the work of god the holy spirit would have a transformative effect as we experience his love bringing us to love god and others so that love that special agape love that unconditional love becomes the chief characteristic of our lives so in verse 17 that christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love and as if that wasn't enough he goes one step higher that because of our experience of god's wonderful love for us that we will gain some understanding of the greatness of god's love for sinners something that would otherwise be totally incomprehensible to us verse 18 that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of christ which passeth knowledge and we live this love out and work it out in the context of the body of christ all true believers everywhere. So you can see a series of stages like the rungs on a ladder as Paul climbs higher and higher, bringing the Ephesians with him. And then he comes to the final rung, to the last step, step four, the top rung of this ladder, all of this inward spiritual work of God leads us to becoming filled with the fullness of God. So it's a progression. It's about my Christian experience and yours. It's about my heart and yours. It's about my new life in Christ and about yours. It's about climbing that ladder, the Christian life is not static. We're to grow in grace. We're to climb higher and higher. We're to know more of the Holy Spirit's power, more of Christ's love, more of God's fullness. Every single day of life, it is about Christian growth. 2 Peter 3 and 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. let's be practical for a moment look back to your conversion look back to the first time when you realized that you were a believer in Christ to that eureka moment we were speaking of in the last study when you first realized that God has loved you so much personally when you first prayed When you repented of your sins, when by faith you began trusting only in Jesus for forgiveness and you began this upward walk of faith. And as you look back, how far have you come? Are you growing in grace and truth? Are you stuck? going to see a benchmark for this form of self-examination. Let's go back to this phrase in verse 19. So that, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the nature of this fullness of God? We've seen that Paul's prayer leads up to this phrase. But we need to find out what exactly he means, don't we? what he means to be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? How are we going to obtain it? After all, I suppose at first glance, this phrase might be misunderstood. Might be easy to misunderstand it. Might be mistaken for some kind of mysticism, like Hinduism, you know, where the Hindus Desire is to grow into the universe, to become part of whatever exists, nirvana or whatever, just to blend into what they consider to be God, many gods. Or like the Mormons who mistakenly believed that the God who created this world was at one time a man, like us a man who because of his perfect life was granted godhood and given his own planet to rule over and given spirit waves and allowed to breed with those spirit waves and produce spirit children and they teach their people that if we live perfect lives we too can become gods it's the heresy of mormonism don't have to look that far away from the church. What about some of the TV charismatic prosperity teachers and preachers who believe that they already are little gods in their own right? There's a notorious quote on the internet from Kenneth Copeland. Who says, I say this with all respect so that it don't upset you too bad. Well you can see his grammar is appalling. Never mind his theology. But I say it anyway. When I read in the Bible where he he's referring to the Lord Jesus, when I read in the Bible where he says I am, I just smile and say, Yes, I am too. Maris Cirillo says the whole purpose of God was to reproduce himself. You're not looking at Morris Cirillo, you're looking at God. You're looking at Jesus. Shameful blasphemy. I trust that no one here this evening would even dream of switching on those American television channels and watching the dreadful blasphemy and heresy is spouted out on them constantly we have to find out exactly what paul means here in order that we would avoid falling into such error so our authorized version here states that ye also be filled with all the fullness of god and um, I'm absolutely convinced that the King James Version is the most accurate English translation. And I'm convinced that in it we have the Word of God faithfully preserved for all generations. But it is a translation. Let us not forget that. So when we go to the Greek text, when we go to the textus receptus, to the 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 text from which the authorised version is translated. We can see that the words there translated with this word, verse 19, uh, which says that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That word with is ice pass. And most reliable reform commentators agree, Martin Lloyd-Jones, for example, also, that our authorised version here, with all, is probably not the best way to translate ice pass. Better translation would be into or "onto the fullness of God. That you might be filled onto all the fullness of God. In fact, it grieves me very greatly to say this, for I have absolutely no time for dynamic equivalence translations. But the best rendition of that ice pass in the, in the Greek text probably is found in the NIV. Probably the only time the NIV is accurate. It translates ice pass as that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. little bit of dynamic equivalence going on there with the measure. But the meeting is actually quite sound, as we shall see in a moment. So if we accept that ice pass is better translated as unto rather than with, then the meaning of the text becomes very clear indeed. Paul is saying that ye might be filled unto all the fullness of God. It's a measure of our growth and grace rather than uh, we becoming little gods ourselves or being infused in some way. Okay, so if we accept that, then the meaning of the text becomes clear. Paul is telling the Ephesians that they have a goal that they have an aspiration that they are to grow in grace that they are to become in some ways in every possible way more and more godly that they are to develop more godlike characters that they're to become more christ-like as they walk the christian pathway william hendricks and agreeing with me here well okay i'm agreeing with him but he calls this the lofty ideal And it's a theme that Paul takes up again in chapter 4. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And you're going to see here the accuracy of this. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Paul's talking about the ministry in the church. And he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, here's the phrase, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying here is, in essence, is that while we can't know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, in a measured sense, in, a, in the sense that we can work it out, that we can calculate it, yet we can experience it, and we can understand it, and we can grasp it, and that will help us to measure our progress in the Christian life as far as we are filled with the fullness of God. We are to measure ourselves against our Saviour, against the Lord Jesus. We are to pursue godliness as we seek to be like him with the help of the Holy Spirit. All right, that's the controversial bit. But that begs another question. Just how godly Just how Christ-like can a wretched sinner like you and me be in this life? We're measuring ourselves against Christ. And this is the measure that we're using, that we might be filled unto all the fullness of God. We're measuring ourselves against the fullness of God. We're trying to attain that fullness. How much of that can we actually attain in this life, bearing in mind that we're sinners? So the first thing we would have to do to work that out is to describe a little bit of what God is like. We have a list of characteristics describing God for us in the Bible so that we can measure ourselves against them. We call those characteristics his attributes. Wayne Grudem here wrote, the Bible gives us numerous descriptions of God's character. These passages are often sorted into attributes of God, a biblical framework that we can use to talk about what God is like and how we know that. And if we explore the attributes of God, it helps us prepare for evangelism. It helps us to learn church doctrine and, most importantly, understand who God is. So we have in the Bible a list of characteristics that describe God to us. We divide those descriptions, those attributes, into two classes. We talk, first of all, about God's incommunicable attributes. His incommunicable attributes. Now, those are the aspects of the character of God that you and I can never share. Let's think of some of them. God is eternal. We can never be eternal because there was a time when we did not exist. But there never was a time when God did not exist And we learn in the Bible that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time. We could never be everywhere at the same time. Well, apart from my wife, she thinks that she can be wherever I am and that she can see everything that I'm doing, which she succeeds in right right, well, but she's not omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing, and no matter how knowledgeable we become, we can never become all-knowing like God. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God can do anything, as we shall see in our next study. Although there are some things that he chooses not to do, he does what brings glory to his name. God is immutable. God never changes. Unlike us, we're not immutable. We can never be because we change constantly, change our minds. We change our characters. God never changes. So you see, there are aspects of the character of God that we can never, ever share in. His eternal nature, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his immutability. While we are to be filled to the extent, to the measure of God's fullness, that can never include any of those incommunicable attributes. But then we have God's communicable attributes there are some aspects of the character of God that he shares with us. After all, we were created in his image to be like him. So, for example, we're taught in the scriptures that God wants us to be holy as he is holy. We're taught to be righteous as he is righteous, to be kind as he is kind, To be merciful as he is merciful. We're taught to hate sin as he hates sin. We're taught to love our neighbours as he has loved us. Those are the attributes of God that we should desire to be filled with. And they are the result, as Paul has taught us earlier in the prayer, of the ongoing work of God in our lives indwelling dwelling us through the work of the Holy Spirit and producing fruit in our lives and that brings us to Galatians 5 and verse 22 and there Paul lists for us what he calls the fruits of the Spirit this is what God is doing in the life of believer this is the believer bearing fruit as they grow in grace, as they are more and more filled unto and measuring themselves against the fullness of God. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Remember how we describe believers as trees bearing fruit in season. Now that is our goal as Christians in this life. We are to be like Jesus. We'll never make it. We'll never manage to be like Christ as he is perfect. We are sinners. But that is our aspiration. And that is the goal, that is the, the top rung of this great ladder of prayer, that you might become filled onto all the fullness of God, that you may become more godlike in your character. And finally, this filling is for you. Paul distinctly tells us here. That you, that ye might be filled. He's already stressed in verse 18 that we understand and practice the love of God in the context of all the saints. How can we even get even a tiny measure of Christ's likeness. How far short of this measure do I fall? How far short do you fall? We have seen that we're to measure ourselves against these attributes of God and to ask ourselves, how far have we come in our Christian lives? And I suggest to you that this is only possible because we have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some scripture texts. John 14 and verse 23 Jesus answered and said unto him If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Colossians 1 and 19 For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. Everything that God is Christ, God's Son, second person of the Trinity, also is. Colossians 2 and 3, In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Oh, this is lovely, and ye are complete in him. Do you see that? Oh, no, we're not complete in ourselves. We could never measure ourselves against God uh, and, and, and tick boxes. But all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ and we are complete in him. Do you see that? The fullness of God the Father dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in us. And if we have Christ dwelling within our hearts, as Paul has said, by faith. Then we are filled to all the fullness of God, and we know and understand something of his immeasurable love for us, for we want to walk in his steps and live in obedience to him. And the goal is set before us, Matthew 5 and 48, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's our lofty idea deal as believers. Despite the fact that we know that we will never attain it in this life, like Paul in Philippians 3 and 14, we say, I press toward the mark for the praise of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we've come now to the last clause in paul's great wonderful sublime prayer for the saints at ephesus what an amazing prayer it has been full of rich language pregnant with meaning praying that these christians new converts will have a life-changing experience of god as they walk with christ paul is not anywhere near the end of the epistle though and when he thinks back over what he has written from chapter one opened and he started talking about election and adoption and redemption Right to the end of verse 19, when he reaches the top rung of the ladder, his heart literally bursts with praise and he pours out this wonderful song of praise to Almighty God. He cries out now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening.